Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Baby Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.badycontest.org, B-A-D-I-E, contest.org, and keep on enjoying audio description. Thank you for calling the ACB Radio and Information Line, brought to you by Xeno Media. 518-906-1820. That's 518-906-1820. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone. Hello out there in the ACB Zoom, ACB Radio land, all of that good stuff. So on behalf of International Relations Committee, my name is Sandra Summons and I am the chair. And this evening, I would like to bring to you our wonderful program, which is It's a Dog's World. So we definitely are very pleased that you have all joined us. Um, Sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself because we have some amazing things to share with you. And I truly believe that this is going to be a really fun experience. What we would like to do first is um, just a brief introduction. So if people, folks that are here on the Zoom call, if you would very, very, very quickly um, say your name and where you're from. And I will start off. I am Sandra Sermons. I reside in Rockville, Maryland, and I am chair of ACP's International Relations Committee. And in order, you are able to unmute yourself to give an intro. So kindly, that is on PC is Alt-A, Mac is Command-Shift-A, the mute button on your mobile device screen or star six if you're dialing in on the phone, and that is a toggle. So uh, I am Maria Christich from Albany, New York. I'm a member of the International Relations Committee and of GDUI as well. So if you'd like to uh, unmute and let us know where you're from, uh, your name and where you're from, and then mute again, that would be great. Uh, hello, I'm Tony this Ames is... from Fresno, oh. California, and I've Welcome. done some international travel. Okay. Hi, this is Sarah Calhoun. I live in Missouri, and I'm president of GDUI. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Maria Hansen from New York City. Um, I'm first vice president of GDUI and president of the New York affiliate. Welcome. Thank you. And I'm Sherry Richardson from Seattle. Welcome. Hi, this is Gabriel Lopez Gafati. I'm also a member of the International Relations Committee and president of Blind LGBT Pride International from Miami, Florida. Hey, Gabe. Welcome. Hey, Sandra. Thank you. Good evening. This is Kim Charlson, and um, I'm from Watertown, Massachusetts. And I'm one of the speakers this evening, and I'm um, treasurer of our local Guide Dog Users of Massachusetts affiliate. Very welcome, um, Kim. Very glad to have you. Thank you. 
I'm Deanna Quiet Water Noriega. I live in Columbia, Missouri. And um, I currently serve as secretary for my local chapter. Okay, welcome, Deanna. Anybody else? Um, Marie Hassi. Okay. Um, I'm Kathleen Trutchell from Florida, the GDOF and GDOI well, board rep. Welcome. I'm Viviana Molnar from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome. Anybody else? Uh, should I go? I'm Fanny Chalfin from Northampton, Massachusetts. Yes, ma'am. Welcome. Thanks. My name is Marsha Mackey from San Francisco, California with now retired guide Maisie. Welcome, Marsha. Glad to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Wow. Now I feel kind of lonely because I think I'm the only cane user. <laughs> <laughs> on this call that's okay don't hold it against me so we won't thanks so basically um you know we thought it would be a very cool idea we there are lots of people in our organization in acb who have done um, a great deal of traveling but what is it like what is it like if you have a guide dog versus a cane um, so this particular evening, what we're doing is <laughs> we're focusing on, um, guide dog users and, you know, since the dogs can't really talk, we'll have the handlers do their talking for them and just share a little bit of what it was like for them in their travels in various, um, countries of the world, the experiences, good, bad, in between. Um, and we are going to start with Maria Hansen. So Maria, if you could just speak for a good about 10 minutes or so and just hit on, you know, the high points and uh, choose, you know, a few countries that you've been to, what you'd like us to know most about um, traveling to those countries using a guide dog. Thank you. <clears throat> I've uh, lived overseas for several years. Um, the first couple of years that I studied abroad, I did not have a dog with me. Uh, the first time I traveled with a dog internationally uh, was uh, when I was going to Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, Sweden, I think it still is, but at that time was the only rabies-free country um, in Europe. And before that, Denmark had also been rabies-free, but a dog came in, brought rabies. And what I heard back then, now I'm beginning to wonder if it's apocryphal, was that they destroyed all the dogs in the country. I mean, they took rabies so seriously. And Sweden was obviously very concerned about their status. So in planning from a year at the University of Stockholm, in 1971, I was faced with a seemingly insurmountable obstacle of uh, a four-month quarantine for Lady, my guide dog. And so I contacted the Swedish Royal Veterinary Society to work out a solution that would meet my need of not being separated from my guide dog while at the same time <clears throat> addressing their concern uh, about their status. 
as a rabies-free nation. And the compromise that we reached was that lady was to be titer tested. And I hadn't heard the term titer testing back then. I just heard it was something about having her blood centrifuged and all sorts of crap. And um, I brought uh, had th- that uh, that had to be done, even though she had always had her rabies vaccinations. And I think in Michigan at that time, it was might even have been an annual vaccination. And I had all her records, but it didn't matter. They were concerned that a dog might still be able to transmit rabies, even though the dog couldn't contract the disease themselves. So she was titer tested. And then I had to have a veterinarian um, meet me upon arrival at the Stockholm airport and examine the dog. Um, She would have to have monthly vet exams and would not be allowed to run off leash for the first four months of our stay in Sweden, which was the equivalent of what their quarantine was. And Lady was the first guide dog um, to enter Sweden via this accommodation. And I have to say the people at Dublindisfordening, which is uh, their national blind organization, were just amazed that um, she got into the country. And Sweden, you think of Scandinavian countries as very advanced um, in their philosophy of how they deal with um, issues. But I will say that um, everything was not easy in uh, Sweden. Like a lot of restaurants did not want a dog in. They said uh, some of the patrons might have allergies, even though. People were allowed to smoke in every restaurant and smoke quite heavily. Um, There were no laws that really guaranteed access there at that point in time. And there were other things we couldn't do. We couldn't go to concerts, et cetera. Um, The interesting thing is while I lived in Stockholm for that year, I left the country a couple of times. I went to Denmark once. And I went to visit my sister in Italy for a while and came back and uh, did not have to go (laughs) through any of those hoops at the airport, Um, which, you know, I I kept my mouth shut. But, um, you know, I guess they figured, you know, once she'd been there, I I don't know. I mean, there was rabies in the rest of Europe, but um, I was responsible. And I really appreciated uh, their willingness to uh, make this accommodation. And one thing we have to realize is that we have to obey the laws of the countries that we're visiting, and we can't, you know, say, what well, I have the right, you don't have the right. Yeah. Um, there were a couple uh, other countries that I would like to just mention quickly. I lived, uh, well, I traveled a couple of times to France with guide dogs and a couple of times to Switzerland. And um, I'll talk about the when I went in the 70s and then when I went in the first decade of this century. So um, in the 70s, I was attending the International Institute of Human Rights in Strasbourg, France. And traveling in and out uh, was much more straightforward, you know, going to the council, figuring out the requirements, having the proper documentation, uh, you know, coming into the country. 
But there were a couple of in- instances there that were kind of memorable. One, I was at a student restaurant, and um, I gave my dog, and it was still lady at that point, uh, some water, poured it into a little glass dish, put it down on the floor, gave her some water. Then a gentleman came over, picked up the dish, threw it down on the floor and broke it. Um, He was offended that a dog had eaten out of or drank water out of this dish. Uh, So I said, wow. Um, And then uh, one other uh, sort of tough uh, thing that happened was uh, we had gone to visit... um, God, I'm trying to remember the name. I think it was Struthoff, which was a constant, which was what had been a concentration camp and the only concentration camp on French soil. And uh, some of the other students there had relatives that had spent time at other, well, death camps. Let's say what they were, um, and they didn't want to let. Uh, me come in with a lady, and they said it would upset people, particularly because she was a German shepherd. And um, they used to patrol. There was a, perim- a double fence perimeter around the camp where the dogs would patrol. But um, they, we were then given permission to come in, and Lady behaved beautifully. And the place at late at this point in time was very bucolic looking. They had taken down a lot of the sinister buildings, et cetera, and, and the uh, mountains. It, it was quite beautiful. Um, the one building that they had left was the medical, quote-unquote, uh, facility um, where I guess a lot of experimentation and very negative things happened. And the lady through a hissy fit. She would not go in that building. She wanted nothing uh, to do with it. So she was a very sensitive dog and, and just, um, you know, sensed, uh, I guess, a bad aura around the building. One of the nice things in Strasbourg, though, was that um, our BG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was lecturing. Um, and she spoke about, uh, you know, under uh, the law in the early days, the British common law, et cetera, um, wives were considered chattel, which is the property of their husbands. And um, somewhere on a par with the husband's horse or dog. And at that point, Lady got up and she just shook like crazy in her leather harness against the wood uh, amphitheater, the bleachers, et cetera, and amphitheater. So she um, caused a lot of people to laugh. She didn't like that statement. And then um, I was working in Geneva uh, at the United uh, Nations, a subcommission on human rights. And again, in Switzerland, um, there was, it wasn't always easy with a guide dog. Um, and I had similar issues with the United Nations here in New York um, that uh, there were restrictions. I had to have special ID and cards and uh, whatever, but my dogs were very well behaved. Then I'll just bounce forward quickly so other people have time. Uh, when I traveled 
oh, I don't know, like 2000, whatever, eight, nine, whatever, to France. Um, traveled on Air France, huge plane. We were asked to board first, and we did. And then when we got to Paris, we were asked to remain on the plane and be the last off. And I'm feeling so bad for my dog because she really needed to get off and take a break. And it took a long time for people to come back and get us. The plane had been empty for quite a while. And then the person that they sent to escort us, I finally said, listen, I have to get down on the tarmac and let the dog pee. And this person was terrified of dogs. And she didn't understand the um, airport and where to take us. You know, I said I had to go through customs. You know, I had all my documentation. She wandered with us all around. I think it was for over an hour. We never went through customs. Uh, she didn't know what she was doing. Um, my boyfriend was there to meet me with flowers, and they had all wilted. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. He thought maybe I had missed my flight, um, whatever. But at that point, other than in France, things were very nice. Just as a courtesy, um, my friend would go into restaurants and stuff first and say, uh, would they, we, I had a guide dog and whatever, um, and it was never a problem. And the other thing is, at that point, uh, there was the European Union, and traveling between countries was very easy um, by car. You know, we just had documentation, but they, people would just look, and I'd usually have her, uh, well, him at that point, a harness on the dog, and there was no problem there. Um, but anyway, I think that's the enough for me, and I'll pass it on to the next person. Thank you, Maria. Um, next up, we have Kim, and she needs no introduction, so take it away, Kim. Thank you, Sandra. Um, all right. So um, on behalf of ACB, I have been doing um, a bit of international travel for probably um, the last 15 to 20 years in some capacities, either with Braille or with the World Blind Union and my responsibilities for the World Blind Union. So um, I too have traveled to France and, and found it very pleasant, not overly burdensome um, as far as things you have to do to prepare to travel. But one thing I'll, I'll tell anyone who um, is considering a trip um, to another country these days is that if you know somebody who went there a year ago, just ignore what they tell you, basically, because you have to check with the USDA vet and make sure that things are changing all the time. And that's one thing I've learned in the last probably 10 years is that when, um, when you go somewhere, you just have to be extra vigilant about the paperwork that you're, you're responsible for um, on behalf of your dog. And some of that is um, logistical paperwork, it's historical records, in some cases, medical data um, and tests. Um, Maria mentioned the titer test. And most of the countries that I've traveled to in the, in the last um, 10 or 15 years, do, ex except for Europe at this point, um, did require um, a titer test. So I'm going to focus my 
remarks on three countries that I have visited with um, one of my dogs, and that would be um, Australia, Brazil, and Antigua in the Caribbean. And they all have unique things about them. Um, they all require a titer test, which is a blood test, as Maria said, that you have to get. Um, and, and almost every country has a different requirement about how many months in advance of your trip that you need to get the titer test. They usually last for 12 months. So if you travel you know, anywhere else during that time, you don't have to repeat the titer test. Um, but the other, the, the other thing to just factor into that is that, you know, taking care of the paperwork and getting the titer test and the examination certificates and that kind of thing can be a bit daunting. Um, so you have to be prepared for it. Um, you know, I've, I've always taken my dogs on my trips and I've always benefited immensely from having them with me. So I wouldn't ever not do it. But it is it is work, so it is something to to consider as you're looking at a trip, um, and it is also in some cases expensive, um, particularly going to Australia. I would say it probably cost me an additional five hundred dollars to um, to get all the the titer testing done, um, the medical testing. They had several different tests because, of course, Australia is an island nation. Um, they are quite um, strict about the animals that come into that country, um, and they have very, very rigid rules. Um, and it hasn't been all that long that um, it was possible to go there. Um, I've been to Australia twice, and the first time was on a World Blind Union trip in um, 2000, the second time in 2008. And so... And things changed between the first trip, which which was exceptionally rigid because it was, we were, you know, one of the first um, partner teams to come into the, the nation, not the first, but one of the first, I'd say certainly within the first five. So they, you know, they were by the book for everything. They checked, cross-checked, double-checked, <laughs> absolutely everything. Um, but the second time I went, they they weren't as rigid. Um, they do meet your plane and they you know scan the microchip, check all the documentation. But the thing that was interesting on the second trip is they confiscated my dog food because it wasn't packed in the original container. Now I never saw that anywhere in the regulations that it said that the dog food had to be packed. I, you know, most of us travel, we put the dog food in Ziploc bags and we kind of, you know, squirrel it away in our baggage when we travel, you know, one over here, one over there. So you can get it to fit, you know, because bag, bag space is precious. And you know, the weight of your bag is also kind of important. So, um, yeah, they looked at my luggage really carefully I think they missed three bags, thank goodness. So I had a little bit of leeway before I had to go out to the store and buy some more dog food. Um, but they let me keep the milk bones because they were in the original box. <laughs> so putting them in Ziploc bags, you know, disqualified me from being able to keep that. I've never had that happen anywhere else. But, um, you know, that was just an oddity about Australia. And then they had to come um, check before I left the country 
Um, but they didn't do that at the airport. They actually came to the hotel I was staying at and I was in the bar and I said, well, if you're here, I'm in the bar. Why don't you just come up here and meet me and we can talk? So the vet came up to the bar, sat at the table, chit-chatted with me, you know, and that was basically, they just wanted to see that I was there with my dog. Everything was good. And, you know, she had a drink and we talked and she left. So <laughs> it was, it was rather bizarre, but that's how they handled it. So, um, so definitely check with what the requirements are, you know, Google what the requirements are for taking a service dog to any country that you're thinking about traveling to, because every country practically is different. And I certainly learned that when um, I started investigating going to Antigua, which is in the Caribbean. So the Caribbean is just a handful of all sorts of different countries that happen to be islands that happen to have very strict rules about bringing dogs into their countries. So um, in the case of Antigua, um, I was the first person to bring a guide dog into the country. Um, a colleague of mine from Perkins is now the ambassador to the United Nations from Antigua, and he's a blind person, um, Aubrey Webson. And he, you know, he was helpful in um, kind of clearing the path to make sure that, that I'd be able to um, travel to the country and that the veterinary um, quarantine service in Antigua would, you know, take, you know, meet me and do all the things required. So, you know, I, I did all the paperwork and all those sorts of things and went down there and went through the process, met the vet and at the airport and did the paperwork. And, and then I thought it was time to go. This was very interesting. Uh, I thought it was time to leave. And um, somebody said behind me, it's time for you to pay. And I said, pay? I need to pay? <laughs> you know, I'd be a little dense here. Go, uh, you need to pay the vet for his time. So basically, I nobody would tell me how much. So I just kind of pulled out a bill and they nobody said anything. So I pulled out another bill and nobody said anything. So uh, I think that was about $40 by then. I pulled out another bill. They said, that will be fine. Thank you very much. And he kind of slid it in his pocket and away he went. So I knew what I was paying for then. Um, <laughs> a little of that grease the palm kind of uh, insurance to get into the country. And uh, I never had any problems. Um, the government knew I was there. Um, you know, um, I did have a problem with the, uh, the official dinner because this was a World Blind Union function. And we met at a, a, a like a country club, very fancy place, wonderful food. All of the guests from the World Blind Union meeting were seated, um, eating, you know, having their cocktails. And they, um, they, they, the, the waiters and the, the manager of the restaurant tapped on the organizers, took them away, brought them back. And, um, and so I, I find out, uh, I, th I think something's going on. And um, somebody said, just eat your soup. <laughs> okay, I'll just eat my soup. Thank you. So, um, so I was eating my soup, and then the vice president of the Caribbean region they came and talked to him, and he came back and he he said it's all been settled. Well, what they wanted was they didn't want to have me in the restaurant with all the dignitaries that were coming. The governor was coming, um, all sorts of people were coming, and they wanted me to go out to the patio. Um, and uh, the the leaders of the World Blind Union said, 
basically, I was very proud. Um, they said, um, do you have room on the patio for all of us? Because if you send her to the patio, we're all going to eat on the patio. And um, they were totally surprised that that was the response. And they said, oh, oh, no, 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 we'll have to go talk to someone. So we proceeded with our dinner. We got through dinner. The governor came. The governor actually saw me because I was sitting at the end of the table. And when, you know, we stood up to have him come in. And of course, my dog is very proper. She stood up too. So that the governor saw my dog and he got so excited. He said, I am so happy to see this dog here in our country. This is wonderful. And he went on and on about her. Um, and the World Blind Union leadership was just beaming because they said, it was like, you see, we told you it'd all be fine. So that was kind of my experience. And I was just very proud of the leadership of the World Blind Union to, to stand behind me and not make me go eat out on the patio by myself because they were they were right there with me every step of the way. So um, my third country was Brazil. Brazil was really quite easy in comparison to Antigua and Australia. I did not have to do anything overly um, complicated except for a titer test and the forms, um, that sort of thing. There was, you know, nothing was super complicated. They did meet me at the um, airport, checked everything out, you know, did the the, the scan um, because all of our dogs that travel internationally now have um, microchips so they can be scanned and identified. So, um, but other than that, my time in um, Brazil was, was very, um, very easy, very calm. Um, they have guide dogs in Brazil and many people are trained in the U.S. Um, with their guide dogs. They go back to Brazil. And it's um, so their country was very um, accommodating. They knew about dogs. Um, I, I thought one time somebody was trying to drag me out of the car because he didn't want to take me, but I didn't understand Spanish. And then come to find out he was trying to help me because he wanted me to sit in the front seat because he thought there was more room for the dog. So I thought he was trying to kick me out of his cab. So I was being a little resistant, like not getting out when he was trying to help me out of the cab. But so, so again, I would, um, I would just reinforce to check the requirements, make sure you know where your USDA vet is, um, they used to be on almost every state, but they've cut back significantly. And now I think there's maybe six or eight regions where there's a USDA vet um, for like Washington, D.C., New York, um, Boston. The, the USDA vet is in Albany, New York. So they have to sign off on some of the paperwork for some countries. And so you you have to plan everything enough in advance to be able to get your forms you know, FedExed to the USDA vet so they can sign off and then they FedEx them back to you. Um, and they make sure that all that's taken care of. But, um, you know, you have to work that in and there doesn't, there's not always a lot of room for last minute glitches. So um, planning is essential when you're going to take your dog with you from, from the food to the um, arrangements at the airport, to the USDA vet signature, to you know, stow a little extra food in your bag to all those different things and carry some cash just in case you need it for that special moment that might happen at the airport, who knows, like I had in Antigua. So 
those are just a few of my experiences in, in three countries that I've traveled in. And probably over the next um, three or four years, um, once we are all able to travel again, um, I will be doing more traveling for, um, for ACB and for the World Blind Union because I'm the president-elect of the North American Caribbean Union of the World Blind Union. Um, the first woman to serve in that role under the WBU. So um, I'm, I'm excited about that. Looking forward to some, some new adventures with my dog and um, some new challenges. So thank you. Thank you so very much, Kim. It's always good to have you present on a panel. You're such a wealth of, of information. Um, last but not least is our very own Maria Christich. Maria? All right. Thank you, Sandra. And we're making pretty good with time. We're just at 9.35. So um, my travel experiences are a bit more recent. I'm working with my first guide dog, uh, Lacey. She's 11 and now, so we've been together since uh, 2011. So um, I can talk a bit about them. Uh, first, I definitely have to concur with what Kim was saying about doing your research and things changing and really just being cognizant of all the requirements. And I think you'll have that come through in, in what I share as well. Um, so uh, just as an initial example, my first uh, thought of traveling once I got Lacey, I had thought that I was going to be, so I, I have um, family, I'm from my family and I were from uh, Bosnia originally, uh, but we have family in Croatia and um, in Germany. And so uh, that was absolutely a place where I knew I was going to be traveling. And I've also traveled um, to Canada uh, by a cruise. So in terms of the Bosnia, tri uh, the Croatia trip, initially, I was going to um, go uh, via a connection in UK. There are no direct flights. And so even with that, even with a connection, just landing there, the fact that I would have gone um, from US into UK, which is rabies free, and uh, then it was in the European Union, obviously that's not the case now. Again, things changing, as Kim said. Um, so the requirements may be different now. But um, you know, even the fact that I was just literally traveling through the airport and would have, in, again, from that time, stayed within the European Union to go to Croatia. Um, I am still so glad that I had called the airport, even though this didn't end up happening. But you know, they made it clear that I would have to have the tighter test. I found it interesting that they. Uh, asked me where my dog was from and then they looked up she's from leader dog and they looked up their list of approved schools and because she was on that list they said you're all set so you know in terms of other requirements on, uh, from the airline standpoint um you know giving they, they said they would give me um, ex an extra seat worth a room and such so i don't know you know what would have happened if if you know for someone who, who owner trains their dog or who's uh has a dog who's i assume they were going by the international guide dog federation standards so you know i don't know what would have happened if someone's dog was from a non-ig GDF accredited school, but they were very clear that, you know, it was good that she that she was from a school that was on their list. Um, so I did not. Oh, and the other um, the other bit uh, was timing wise. They required that 
and I forget the the uh, rationale for this. It had to do something with making sure the dog was identifiable with the with the um, vaccine or the microchip. I forget which it was, but um, basically they had to be they had to receive their ra- uh, rabies vaccine after receiving the microchip. And Lacey had received her rabies vaccine uh, a year before being microchipped, and so I basically had to, even though it was a three year rabies, I had to basically give her another have her get another rabies shot uh, so that that would have been given you know after her microchip so um again just very uh particular in terms of timings and i didn't end up um taking that route uh but that was at least some good research and a good you know kind of uh helping me to get my feet wet into what exactly this entailed um so and i will come back to the croatia trip i did actually take so this was in um, 2012 when i was doing this research and i traveled in 2016 to croatia and um germany uh but let me in the intervening because i took in um 2012 that year i actually ended up taking this cruise to canada and so that was quite interesting i'm thinking you know cruise how is this going to work, you know, on a, on a uh, cruise ship for days and such. Um, but it was actually pretty seamless. Uh, we went with Carnival and they did request a certain health certificate, uh, a health certificate. And uh, I believe there was certain, a certain other paperwork or rabies vaccine and such. And especially because we'd be crossing into uh, Canada from US and they uh, set up in terms of relieving, they set up a wooden box with these pellets uh, designed for uh, dog relief. And I had... I had tried before leaving to get her used to this box. I'm thinking this is going to be a change. I literally purchased those exact same pellets. I found out what they were going to use. Like my dad and I, and I traveled with my parents um, with all of these international experiences so far. So just to put that out there, I've traveled alone domestically, but not in these abroad trips. Um, but uh, so I, I bought the, you know, we, my, my dad made the box and we set it up in my parents' yard and I'm thinking this is going to be so seamless. And, you know, we said at the beginning, what are our dogs thinking? Lacey literally took one look at that and then looked over at the grass and was like, I I could just imagine her being like, what is wrong with you? Why would I ever go into this box? And she literally refused and just went in the grass. And I'm thinking, oh, dear, this is not going to this is going to be a little tricky. And um, indeed, it was a bit on the uh, ship that was, you know, she she had a blast walking around and um got a lot of exercise, but definitely the getting used to the uh, box was a bit of the tricky part. She would go near it and not in it for the first few days, even though there happened to be another service dog. There was a lady in a wheelchair. She was a wheelchair user and she had a yellow lab. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like she's, you know, Lace is going to pick up from this dog and, you know, she's going to get it. And it still took her a couple of days, even though she saw him using it. So that was definitely the biggest uh, challenge to convince her to, to do that. But um, she definitely had a blast walking around and one of the um tricky things on the ship uh i realized that the crew had no training or knowledge about guide dogs um one of the crew members there was some piece of bread or something that ended up on the floor when we were dining and the person literally kicked it toward lacy and i mean she kind of ate it because it was like literally kicked right in front of her face and so i had to have a discussion with the you know um they called it i forget like special needs or accommodations manager manager, what have you. Um, and, you know, just kind of give a heads up and can they give a little bit of, you know, training to the crew, just heads up, this is how you interact with the guide, you know, you don't interact with a guide dog and when they're working and so on and so forth. So I found that a bit, um, 
surprising that this large, you know, American airline with this, um, you know, disability department didn't, you know, mention anything to the crew, especially since they knew that, you know, I was going to be coming aboard. Because again, that planning ahead, I, I uh, you know, alerted them when I was coming and such. And um, so, you know, that was a good experience. I will say it was very, <laughs> when, when we finally came to Canada, this is in Nova Scotia, and it was three days or so into the trip. And Lacey literally in a harness, she just threw herself into the grass and started rolling around in it. She was so excited to see grass. So, um, you know, definitely uh, in terms of thinking, you know, I think it was a big adventure for her, but um, she was definitely, uh, you know, happy to to be on firm land. And um, luckily she did not get seasick. I was advised to take Benadryl uh, from my vet and given the proper dosage for her weight and, uh, you know, just in case. And But luckily she didn't um, get get seasick. So that was uh, that trip. And of course, people were, you know, super excited to see a dog on board. And um, she was definitely a good icebreaker. <laughs> um, then in terms of the Croatia trip um, and Germany, so this is in 2016. So uh, we ended up connecting in terms of the flight through Germany, but um, we also have family there. So I spent um, a couple of days. Um, so, you know, I, in terms of, um, I will say in terms of the airport in Germany, I did contact the um in the Frankfurt airport, the, I believe it was called something like animal control office or some sort of disability personnel to ask about uh, indoor relief areas. And, you know, was told that it was still a work in process and I'd have to, you know, go outside. But I was so glad that I called because like what Kim mentioned with the food, the person advised me, do not bring the food in opened bags, bring a sealed bag of food. Otherwise it will be confiscated. And so I was glad to have that uh, warning and thankfully Chewy sold her food in, you know, like six pound bags as an option that I could um, take with me. Um, so, you know, in terms of, I don't have too much, you know, I walked on the streets a bit in Germany, um, but I stayed with my family for the couple of days. So, you know, my, my walking on the streets was pretty good. And um, in terms of the, you know, airport, just going out and, and back in was fine. Um, what I did find interesting at the beginning of my trip, they did copy over all of my uh, health records. So I don't actually know if, because I wasn't asked for them again. And I don't know if that's because, you know, the record just traveled with me. I suspect that's what it was, but I, um, I don't know. So, you know, in terms of going there, um, what Kim was saying about, again, research, it just so happened that literally the day that I was to go in, the, um, there were, there was going to be a new form of the health certificate. And that new form literally took effect on the day that I was supposed to land. So I'm like, okay, do I use the old one or the new one? And I, and people weren't sure I was getting conflicting results. So I had like my vet complete both versions. And then I actually went to the um, USDA office here in Albany in person, just in case to try and get a straight answer, which I did, which was to, you know, use the new one. So again, just very, you know, meticulous planning. And of course now, you know, as she mentioned, FedEx is an option, but it kind of helps that I live in Albany. <laughs> so the next time I need to do this, it's, you know, kind of five minutes away. I probably We'll just go in person just in case. Um, but um, in terms of, you know, actually navigating. So in Croatia, um, we, for the most part, what I found interesting, there is a guide dog school there. Um, and I was in a couple of, I was in a few cities uh, in the, um, on the, on the Adriatic coast uh, area. And uh, so, you know, I, I didn't go say like to Zagreb, the capital. So I wonder if it would have been different there. But what I found interesting was that there wasn't a recognition of what 
a guide dog would look like, you know, in terms of the harness, but there was knowledge of what a guide dog was. So a lot of times like entering a store or, you know, going over to like the, where the beaches were, if she was just going to, you know, um, sit there with my family for a second, if I was going to take a dip or what have you, or just even walking in the streets, you know, people or restaurants for the most part, it was in the summer. So like we would sit outdoors, but even so, you know, a lot of people would, you know, dogs aren't allowed but then when I would explain, she's a guide dog, you would, oh, of course. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Um, so, you know, for the most part, it was pretty easy. Um, the one quite difficult time that I did have was uh, unexpectedly, we had to find a hotel for a night and uh, we just kept going. This is very last minute. And the first two hotels that we stopped at, they did not care that it was the law. They even contacted the owners and the owners didn't care and they just flatly refused. And finally, thankfully, the third hotel uh, did accommodate us. And um, I did get in touch with the guide dog school there, but I didn't um, unfortunately get a response as to that. So, um, you know, it just uh, kind of reminded me that, you know, there's definitely still, um, you know, work in progress and there's still a ways to go. But I was pleasantly surprised at the, uh, you know, level of access that I did get once I explained that she was a guide dog. I did, you know, have other tourists wanting to pet her and such, and I'd have to try and explain, like saying no, but, you know, if they didn't speak Croatian or what have you, you know, the language barrier would sometimes be there. So it's a little awkward, but, you know, I have to keep a sense of the big picture that, you know, my dog shouldn't be distracted. Um, And so, you know, that was, I will say in terms of the good, bad, and Ugly. Um, her uh, health-wise, the, the trip was a little bit strenuous for the first couple of weeks as we were traveling from place to place. And um, just, I think, you know, she struggled a little bit with adapting um, the, the more concrete floors and just a lot of being timed in an air-conditioned car. And I, I'm not sure all of what, you know, triggered, but like she had her, her tail got a bit inflamed and um, she just wasn't, uh, she, she got a little ill. And so I did have to go to a vet and um, thankfully, you know, she got some medication and she was doing much, much better the last like week and a half of the trip. It was a three-week trip. So, you know, definitely in terms of your planning know where your nearby vets are as well when you're traveling just in case you never know and um you know, I think for Lacey, I think, it, you know, it was definitely um, an adventure. It was a fun time. She got to, I have a little video that I was going to screen share because uh, it's just very cute. You hear her walking on the, the uh, rocks and swimming and play barking. You know, she got some time to just be a dog and swim in the Adriatic. And um, so, you know, I think it was definitely a big adventure for her. Uh, one little interesting tidbit, she, um, one of the uh, places where we stayed, it was a bit of a concrete flooring and she had I put a towel down for her and I figure you know it's summer it's warm like she doesn't need a you know thicker bed and I guess she didn't think that was thick enough or she didn't like the towel or I don't know what it was but while I was sleeping my brother's bag was nearby and it was slightly open and he had clothes in the bag and so she nudged open the rest of the, the bag with you know the nudged open the zipper with her like nose or her paws or what have you and she took out the clothes some of the clothing and she made herself a softer bed. So, you know, they will definitely um, figure things out. And um, so I, I was really, you know, glad to have traveled with her um, 
to these places, you know, it was conducive, it was street travel and, um, you know, she could get a lot out of it as well. And I definitely benefited. Um, but that being said, I definitely would, you know, advise people to think about when traveling internationally, if it is suitable, um, for, for your dog or what the situation is like, for example, um, I didn't go to Bosnia because no one could give me a straight Bosnia is not in the European union and no one could give, give me a straight answer as to whether, uh, leaving the European union you know, leaving Croatia, going to Bosnia would invalidate my U.S. European Union health certificate, and which would have then necessitated me getting another one in Bosnia, which has a little bit of more um, uh, like prevalence of certain diseases and such. So it has different set of rules. And so I didn't feel like risking it. And so I didn't end up going. Um, you know, another situation um, I planned, it didn't happen because of COVID. So I'm, you know, in future, um, I will hopefully be visiting India at some point. And while I know some people who have a couple of people who've traveled with um, guide dogs to India, maybe 20 years back and 15 years, the other one, um, you know, I know it can be a bit of a challenge. There are a lot of stray dogs and sometimes, you know, drivers view the traffic rules, they can view them as guidelines. And so the traffic and street crossings and such, especially can be a bit erratic. And just with so much of the crowds and such, I, you know, had taken the decision um, that I was not going to take her there and she would have you know hung out with my parents and had a much more um relaxing time so um while it's certainly a benefit you know there may be certain situations where it is not the best idea um for for your dog to travel uh, so with that we have about eight minutes left um, yes. so let's um take we have time for like two quick questions so who would first of all let me just thank um all of our presenters wonderful information um, and thank you for <laughs> speaking for your <laughs> dogs um, and just sharing with us. So if there are some quick questions, we can take two. So um, if you'd like to raise your hand to ask a question, uh, it's Alt-Y on PC, Option-Y on Mac, the more, and then raise hand on your mobile device and star nine uh, on the phone. And we have Deanna Okay, Deanna. You can go ahead and unmute yourself. Hello. Um, I have traveled with my guide dogs to Mexico several times, Hawaii several times, Canada, um, the Caribbean, different places in the Caribbean. Um, I took one on a seven-island cruise. And um, I'll just quickly touch on some of the things I've learned from my travel. One of the things I've learned is it helps to know what a guide dog is called in the language of the country you're going to because it's easier to explain then and surprisingly it's not just a straight translation of course because language is very different when i went to mexico i thought pero guía you know dog guide um but that was not recognizable but lazarillo was mm -hmm. um because a lazarillo is a guide um, it could be a hunting guide, a fishing guide, a, you know, a tourist guide. Um, so if I said Lazarillo, they understood immediately. Um, when I went to um, St. Martin's, well, half of the island is French and half of it is Dutch. So um, one of the things I learned was to get a letter in the language of the place I'm going to go that is written in that language that explains what a guide dog is and that this is a, you know, 
a professionally trained guide dog. And um, the last time I went to Mexico was in 2019, and I walked across the border from an, an Indian reservation, basically. And um, I applied to the seeing eye and asked the, the head of training to write me that letter in Spanish and put an official um, seeing eye seal on it because seals are very important. If it looks official, they're much happier to um, accept it as a document. And actually, I was never asked a thing. I just walked in and walked back out and I did that um, on two different days. Um, but I had all of my paperwork. I had the, the, the rabies certificate, the health certificate, and the letter. And I think being prepared, even if you're not asked, you know that, that it's, all, it's all good. Absolutely. Um, that is definitely like throughout this entire um, presentation, it's like be prepared, be prepared, keep your ducks, you know, make sure you have your ducks in a row. Um, that and, is don't, and don't panic. And one don't panic. of my worst experiences was Actually, when we touched Deanna, down Deanna. in Haiti Deanna. and oh. they threatened me with machine guns. <laughs> All right. Well, on that somber note, <laughs> thank you, Deanna. We're yes, gonna thank you, Deanna. The time flying. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Do we have? I don't see any. Okay. Actually, if you so again, if you'd like to raise Alt Y on PC, Option Y on Mac, uh, Star Nine on the phone, or the More, and then raise Hand button on your uh, mobile device. Um, and I. I don't okay. see any more. Maria? Oh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Hi, it's the other Maria here. Uh, just uh, two quick things. Um, microchips. Early on, you had to know what microchip was used at a particular airport at a time. I think now it's hopefully more universal. But uh, when they first started using them, you had to be careful. Um, and uh, the word in uh, Swedish is laid out hunden for you, um, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> and the word yeah. the word in Croatian is pasvodich, which actually does translate pretty literally to dog guide. So that okay. works out. And with the yes, with the microchip, I would just concur definitely. Even like find out your dog's microchip number, which is probably on one of yeah. their tags. It, it should be, I believe, a 15. I know Lacey's is a 15 digit. I think that's pretty standard. Um, and again, on the preparation, it just don't kind of have a sense of like the country's law too. Like in Croatia at the airport, um, they wanted to separate us to check her. Mm -hmm. And I had to be very firm, like, no, you're not going to separate us. Like, even though I'm with my parents, you know, like that's not the point even though I'm with my parents like you're not going to take her so right. you have to be firm and you have to know the law and the letter as well I was asked by the German airline I had to get a letter from leader dog as well stating that uh, that she was trained so again that was part of my little pile <laughs> that they copied I'd like to just say one other thing real quick uh, for people who are considering international travel you want to be able to go with your dog and the requirements now for real ID um, you know, make sure that you have the update identification that's required for yourself. 
We have Dan has raised his hand. Go ahead, Dan. This has been a great presentation. I'm not a guide dog user, but I have really enjoyed (laughs) great, great presentations. I I did have a question, though, with you all traveling with with the new rules that have passed in the U.S. You know, you've talked a lot about leaving. Is there any special things that happen to you depending on what country you go to when you come back to the United States? We have a minute. Does anyone want to take that? (laughs) I just want to say real real quick that I had no problem coming back. Even coming back from France where I didn't seem to have entered the country because they never put me through customs. (laughs) Um, But with, uh, you know, after 9-11, don't assume that's going to be the case. Make sure you have all your documents with you. Yeah, and Dan, I I have not traveled since the new regulations went into effect domestically. Um, that in itself will be an adventure when it happens. Um, you know that that was another call, another day. But we all have a lot of concerns about the process, and I'm sure we'll be learning more um, at the Washington D.C. leadership seminar because I understand that there will be a panel um, from the um, FAA to talk about this more with um, the folks who are going to the legislative seminar, which will be really informative, I think. Mm -hmm. And just to add that even I haven't traveled either yet since these new regs, but um, when I traveled uh, coming back into the country, again, I said most recent was 2016, I did not have any issues coming back. Thank you. Um, so that thank you, uh, Dan, for that excellent question. And as I said before, um, this has been an amazing panel. Um, and on behalf of ACB's International Relations Committee, I am very glad that you were able to attend and be on the lookout because we definitely plan um, some additional panels. And with that, we are signing off.